sometimes the minor prophets get treated like their message is a minor message, and yet there's so much richness into what the prophets prophets of God recorded for us, because is it not part of the Word of God? Now just as a quick review, remember Habakkuk is looking at the nation of Judah continuing to live in wickedness and not repenting and turning to God. He's troubled by what he sees. And we saw in the beginning of chapter 1, he cries out to God about the wickedness in the land of Judah. God then tells him of the impending judgment upon Judah, and Habakkuk is astonished that God is going to use the Chaldeans to judge his people. And he questions God. Why are you going to use them? We're more righteous than they are. The year somewhere between 609 and 607 B.C., Remember, it was not until 605 B.C. that the first invasion of Judah happened, and then 597, and then totally destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So this is right before all that is about to happen. But many years prior, 724 B.C. is when the northern kingdom, Israel, was already taken captive. They've already seen God's judgment on Israel, So you think that Judah would repent, and that's essentially what Habakkuk is looking at, is why why are our people not turning to God? Well, now Habakkuk's made his cry. God has said he's going to judge Judah. Habakkuk then questions, why, Lord, are you going to use the Chaldeans? And then he says, I'm going to stop and I'm going to wait for a response to God. And what we have here this morning that we're going to examine is God's response back to Habakkuk. So we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 2, reading verses 2 through 20. God chose to reveal to Habakkuk that someday the Chaldeans would also be judged for the wickedness. You see, but sometimes in life, we look at the prosperity of the wicked and we become envious. Or we question God. Why don't you just destroy all the wicked people? Why don't you stop this violence that's going on in the world? We essentially asked the same question Habakkuk did. Why are you using such wicked people? But you and I need to remember, Christian, God is still in control. God is still the Lord, and we can trust him in all things. Nothing has ever taken God by surprise. And so we need to learn to trust God in all things. If you're physically able, if you please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word this morning, we're going to read Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 2 down through verse 20. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time, and at at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is proud, man. Neither keepeth at home who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is his death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth in him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay, 
shall they not rise up suddenly and shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties unto them because thou hast spoiled many nations all are a remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of man's blood and for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell in uh, dwell therein woe to him that covereth an evil covetous evil covetousness to his house that he may set his nest on high that he may deli uh, be delivered from the power of evil thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy soul for the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity behold it is not of the lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity for the earth should be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the lord as waters covered the sea woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink that putteth his bo thy bottle to him that makest him drunken also that thou mayest look on their nakedness thou art filled with shame for glory drink thou also and let thy foreskin be uncovered the cup of the lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee and shameful spewing shall be upon thy glory for the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee and despoil the beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood for the violence of the land of the city and of all that dwell therein what profiteth what profiteth the graven image and the maker thereof hath given uh, hath graven it the molten image and the teacher of lies the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols woe unto him that saith in the wood awake to the dumb stone arise it shall teach Behold, it is laid over with gold and with silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst thereof. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so as we look at this passage this morning, four points that I want us to examine. First, I want us to observe the timing of God is perfect. The timing of God is perfect. We'll see that in verses 2 and 3. Our second point will be simply trust god trust god we'll see that in verse four third in verses five through 19 we'll see the tragedies proclaimed by god the tragedies proclaimed by god and then our fourth point this morning from verse 20 will be the temple is still occupied by god the temple is still occupied by god so as we look at God's Chaldean judgment this morning, you and I must trust the, the Lord in all things. Let us ask for his guidance, please. Father, again, this morning we ask for your wisdom, clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that your word can be presented with the truth and that it would be presented truthfully. And Lord, again, if there's one here today that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would see their need for salvation. And, but Lord, I pray also for Christians today that we'd be strengthened to be able to trust you in all things. As we see the wickedness and violence around us, may we remember again, Lord, that you're still in control. And our responsibility is to keep obeying and keep trusting and living by faith. So to this end, we pray and thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Point number one, the timing of God is perfect. Aren't you glad of that? God is never late. 
God is never too early. His timing is always just right. But let's go back to verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. First of all, I want us to stop and think a little bit about the fact that God says, write the vision. God chose to reveal himself to us in his word. And let's never forget over the fact, Christian, you and I have the privilege of studying the very word of God on a regular basis. God has given us his word. He commands his prophets to write the word. Isaiah 30 in verse 8, he says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be found for the time to come forever and ever. I'm glad God's word is forever settled in heaven, aren't you? I'm glad it is perfect, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it, it is immutable, it's inspired, it's eternal. I'm glad God's word is all these things, aren't you? And you know, the world tries to twist God's word and change God's word and pervert God's word. But I am thankful God has promised to preserve his word for all generations. And I can stand before you this morning and say, thus saith the Lord. <coughs> because I believe what I hold in my hands is the very revealed word of God. Now think of this. Habakkuk was standing there confused. He's looking at the sin in his nation. God has told him, I'm going to judge my people Judah using the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk is confused saying, God, why are you going to use such a wicked people to judge us? If God had not given further revelation, Habakkuk would have still stood there confused, right? Aren't you glad that you and I hold within our hands the complete revealed word of God that every answer we need to everything in life is in the Bible? Now, it doesn't mean there's still not times in life when we may not be confused by what's going on. There's times people come to me and say, why did this happen? You know what my answer is? I don't know. But I do know one thing. God is still in control. God has never been taken by surprise. I've had people say such things as, how can a loving God allow? You're asking the wrong question. Because God has already shown his love to us in sending Jesus Christ to die. And we should say, how could a God love me so much? And also remember, the things and wickedness happen in this world are not God saying, that's my choice for that to happen. It's a result of sin in this world. But then people say, but God could have stopped it. But remember, God is a long-suffering God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he is allowing these things to continue so that wicked men have opportunity to turn to him. So God has given us his word. But then I also like this part of the verse. It says, make it plain upon the tables. In other words, write it legibly. I'm glad I'm not Habakkuk or any of the prophets. I've been told my handwriting is not legible. I've had teachers complain about my handwriting. I, when I was in the medical field, when I was in the Navy, I had doctors complain about my handwriting. I'm like, sir, have you seen yours? And they said, I don't care. I can't read yours. But the idea is to, to make it legible. Adam Clark put it this way. He says, write it in a full, plain, legible hand. I am glad the Word of God is written plainly. And we take it at its plain, literal interpretation. You know, all these weird people that come up with these, well, not weird people, but they come up with weird allegorical 
interpretations of God's word. Why? It's plain. Take it plainly the way God said it. Don't change it, modify it, or tamper it with it. But then verse 2, he says, that he may run that readeth it. In other words, you and I are to understand the word of God and then run to tell others about the word of God. You and I are to be telling others the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to preach it plainly. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, note, those who are employed in preaching the word of God should study plainness as much as may be so as to make themselves intelligible to the meanest capacities. In other words, preach the word of God plainly. I had a professor put it this way in college. He says, keep the cookies on the bottom shelf and you're preaching. Now, sometimes I do refer to a little bit of Greek or a little bit of Hebrew. I did take a year of Greek, never took any Hebrew, but I try to keep it very plain. I've heard preachers, and I'm not trying to pick on them, but I've heard, you know, this Greek meaning, and then they go down and parse the whole word, and everybody's like, what? Look, if it help explain it, yes, but to sit there and keep getting lost in it to where nobody understands what you're talking about is really not preaching plainly. Preach it so I understand it, right? Well, you and I are to take the plain word of God and run with it and preach it to others. But now let's get into verse 3. And this gets more into the point of God's timing is perfect. He says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. In other words, what he's about to tell Habakkuk is I'm going to judge the Chaldeans. But I'm going to do it, Habakkuk, in my time, not yours. And in the meantime, I am going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to judge my people. And the way I choose to do this, Habakkuk, is up to me, not you. How often, though, are we guilty of trying to tell God how to do his job? Instead of just following what God has said. Just trusting him. Well, Lord, those are wicked people. Why are you using them? God's saying, I'm going to judge them, Habakkuk, and my timing of judgment will be perfect. You see, but remember, while God's judgment is delayed, it won't be diminished or forgotten. See, too often people are living today and did not even the New Testament tell us the times would come when people be living as, where's the promise of his coming? God's not judging me. So I can do whatever I want. Do we not have this attitude in, world, in the world today? Yes, we do. It may be delayed, but it's not diminished or forgotten. God will still judge. And so Habakkuk needed this reminder. My timing is not your timing, Habakkuk. He says, the vision is yet for the appointed time, but after the end of it, shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. In other words, God's purpose will be accomplished. God's purpose will be accomplished. God was going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. And did he not? As I said in 605, 597, and 586 B.C., on three different campaigns, Nebuchadnezzar led his army down to Judah. The first time takes the princes and the best of the uh, young people. The second time he takes more captives. third time he totally wipes out 
all of Jerusalem taking everything back to Babylon with him. But God had said, I am going to judge Babylon. And do we not find in the pages of Daniel, the guy who followed after, a couple actually after, Nebuchadnezzar, having a big party, drinking out of the cups that were from the temple and everything else, and all of a sudden a hand comes over the wall and writes, Mene, Mene, Tiko, Yefarsin. How I could remember that, I don't know. But he's trying to get his wise men to interpret it, and they can't. And finally, they remember Daniel, bring out Daniel, and Daniel looks at it and basically tells him God is going to judge. And that very night, the Medes crawled in and took over Babylon. Did God not judge Babylon? Find it today. It just wasn't at the timing that Habakkuk thought it should be. Can we apply this today? Are there wicked people in our world today that we sometimes wonder why God are you allowing them to still be in the position they're in? Christian, how about rather we say, thank you, Lord, that you're still in control. I don't always understand your ways, but I do know one thing. Your way is always perfect, and I can trust you no matter what. Which brings us to the second point of trusting God. Behold, his soul which is lifted up, lifted up is not upright in him. He's contrasting, if you will, pride with faith. Habakkuk could question God. Sometimes I hear Christians doing the same thing, questioning God. I've heard this. I'm living for God, therefore, why did God allow this to happen to me? Whether it be suffering, whether it be something bad happened, whether it be somebody died or whatever. Why did God allow that to happen? You know what the problem with the question is? The premise is wrong. The premise of the question is wrong because the premise is based on the fact that I deserve better. God should not allow this to happen. After all, I'm serving God. And therefore, because I serve God, God should reciprocate by doing good to me. Where did we get that unscriptural idea? Rather, we should realize I am a hell-deserving sinner and anything better than hell is God's grace and mercy to me. So therefore, if God chooses for me to experience a trial in life, if God experiences me to, uh, chooses for me to experience the loss of a loved one, if God experiences for me to get a diagnosis of cancer, if God chooses for me to get anything, any one of these, I should still be able to say, thank you, Lord, that you have a perfect plan. So God tells Habakkuk, the just shall live by his faith. I finally had opportunity to listen to the messages, some of the messages that were preached while I was gone. You guys that were here for Sunday school on the 14th, was it? Had a real good message on faith. Brother Mike did a good job explaining faith. Christian, you and I need to learn what it means to live by faith. Again, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If I see it, it's not faith. I don't have to always understand what God is doing, but I can accept it by faith. And I can thank him by faith. Because has God not promised that if we love him, that everything we do 
is for our good. Or everything that happens to us is for our good. Everything he does. Everything he allows. You know, this passage, this verse of the just shall live by his faith is quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, let my soul have no pleasure in him. If God says it once, it's important. But he quotes this passage in the New Testament three times. Bringing this application to us Christians saying, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. So stop questioning God why and start saying, thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and just ensure that I'm continuing to walk and allow him to guide my steps and I'm following him. And it may seem like things are turning out horribly, but remember, he's the master, he's the artist, he's the, he's the designer, and he knows what he is doing. Is it not by faith that we're saved? Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. I've not seen heaven, but I have an assurance that I have a home in heaven. I've never seen Jesus face to face, but I know him as my Savior. My sanctification is by faith. As I yield to God and yield to the Holy Spirit, he changes me in the image of his dear son. I have faith for living. No matter what happens in life, I can trust God. So first, the timing of God is perfect. Secondly, we need to trust God. Then in verses 5 through 19... He gives five woes. And these are called the tragedies proclaimed by God, or the woes proclaimed by God. God says, woe to the Chaldeans, is to whom he's referring through this, basically saying, I am going to judge them. And he gives his reasons why he's going to judge them. And we're going to briefly touch on each of these. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But verses 5 through 8, for violence. Again, in verse 6, you see, Shall not all these take up a parable against him and taunting proverb against him say, Woe to him that is increases, which is not his. How long uh, to him that ladeth himself with thick clay shall not they rise up suddenly and shall bite thee and awake that vex thee and thou shalt be uh, for booties unto them because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people to spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land and for the city and of, that, uh, of all that dwell therein. Then verses 9 through 11, woe for pride. So woe for violence, and then a woe for pride. Woe to him that covereth an evil covetousness of his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered of the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame in thy house by cutting off many people and has sinned against thy soul. And then verses 12 through 14, a woe for bloodshed and iniquity. For the stone shall cry out to the wall of the beam, and the timber shall answer it. I'm sorry, that was verse 11. Verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity. And he goes on talking there. Verse 15 through 17. Woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest lookest on their nakedness. 
Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. So for debauchery. And then verses 18 and 19. What profit hath the graven image, and the maker thereof hath given it? Their molten image, a teacher of lies, the maker of his work trusteth therein, to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over gold and silver, and knoweth no breath at all in the midst of it. God says, Woe for idolatry. Now, Christian, you and I can take this and evaluate our lives. Is there violence? Is there pride? Is there iniquity? Is there debauchery? Is there idolatry in our lives? If so, it doesn't belong in the Christian life. We need to confess it and forsake it as a sin that it is. And let me tell you something. I said this in one of the earlier messages today. It is shocking to me how many men in ministry are being caught in adulterous relationships and and the one guy who says, I'm tired of being a man, he wants to convert himself to a woman, and others being found in sodomite relationships. And, and these are men who are supposed to be in ministry. It is running rampant even in Christianity, the wicked violence that's not supposed to be named among us. But Christian, it starts small. Allow just a little thing to slip here, a little thing to slip there, and next thing you know, you're Sin is always going to, as the saying goes, sin is always going to take you further than you wanted to go and keep you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Men, you should have some kind of safeguard on your computer. Men are falling by the dozens to pornography. It is rampant in our society today. And you should have some kind of safeguard on your phone, on your, on your computer. You know, when my wife asks to see my phone, I hand it to her. You know why? Because there should be nothing on here that she can't see. And so she wants to look at my phone at any time. She can look at my phone at any time. And she does. Because half the text you receive weren't written by me. My fat fingers will hit about four buttons at the same time. And it's frustrating. And also when we're in the car, that's my excuse. I'm driving. So there you go. While we're looking at these, I just want to point out a few, if we may, as we go. Verse 15, woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and maketh us drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. I hear a lot of Christians say that they believe social drinking is okay. I'm going to give just for a moment and I don't believe, but I'm going to give just for a moment and say, okay, let's suppose that's true. Now, I don't believe that. But let's just suppose for a moment I did say, okay, the Bible says you're allowed to be socially drink. I don't believe it does. I believe it teaches abstinence, and here's why. At what point have you tipped the line? One drink? Two drinks? And by the way, each individual is different on that. At what point have you become drunken? What is drunkenness? Define drunkenness. And then I asked people this. I said, let's suppose I did believe that. And so Susan and I are out at dinner and I have a little wine with my dinner. And now you have a tragedy in your family. Somebody just got taken to the hospital. You say, pastor, could you come with us and pray with us? And I show up to the hospital and you smell alcohol in my breath. What's your first thought? Now, if I should be held to that standard, shouldn't you also? You see the best way to avoid getting into drunkenness is abstinence, right? 
Let's take this last one, idolatry. Verse 18 again, what profit the graven image and the maker thereof the gra that hath graven it? Or the molten image, the teacher of lies, the maker of the work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe to him that saith to the wood, Awake to the dumb stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all, in the midst of it. You know, we think of, yeah, that's really dumb. Somebody goes and cuts down a tree, carves an image in the tree, makes it look like something, overlays it with gold, and then says, you are my God. And we look at that and say, that's ridiculous. But what we don't realize is we have the same thing in our society. We've just modernized it, okay? You know, in the ancient cultures, they used to take their babies to a god named Moloch and place the babies in the fire, and there was loud music playing to drown out the cries of the babies. Well, now we've just modernized it. We do it in a nice, clean, sterile environment, but we're still sacrificing our babies called abortion today, right? But when people go out and take an object, whether it be their house, whether it be their car, whether it be their boat. Now, I understand we all need a car, okay? I'm not saying owning a car makes you an idolater. But if you worship that car, and I've seen guys, you know, you know the guy I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's always pristine, garage kept, and, you know, nobody touches this car. If you even think of looking at my car, you better, you know, have white gloves on. You know what I'm talking about. But yet, at the same point, everybody who comes by, he has to talk about his car, he has to show off his car, all his money, all his time, all his investment is in that car. Has he not made that car an idol? You know, the Bible says, bodily exercise profiteth little. And I know we've all heard the jokes about, so that's why I don't exercise, because little, pro okay, little in comparison to godliness. It's a comparative statement, okay? And yes, we should take care of these bodies, right? It's the only one we got. But have you ever seen those that almost treat their body as an idol? I mean, I understand, you know, every gym has mirrors so you can see yourself lifting. But, you know, the guy who's got to be like, in front of the mirror, you know. It's like, what is wrong with him? You all know what I'm talking about. You've been to the gym enough. You've seen him. Anything can become an idol. And it's just as dumb to take a hunk of metal. Well, they're not even metal anymore. They're mostly plastic anymore and fiberglass, if, if that, on these cars. And to essentially bow down and worship the thing. But people do. Christian, anything you put ahead of God in his rightful place has become an idol in your life. Be careful. These five woes that God pronounces... And now he wraps it all up in this one verse. Verse 20. And I call this point, the temple is still occupied by God. But, I love that word. All this is going on, Habakkuk. I got a plan. My timing's going to happen. But you need to realize something, Habakkuk. The Lord is in his holy temple. He's still sitting on the throne, Habakkuk. God hasn't left his job. God hasn't left his position. He's still sovereign over all. Psalm 115, verse 3, But the God is in heavens, hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm eleven fourteen: 14, The Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Habakkuk, I'm still in control. Christian, you and I can rest in the fact that God is still on the throne. I hear so often, things are getting so bad around the world. The rapture must be coming real soon because God wouldn't let this to continue on. And I tell him, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. Things can get really bad before it gets really bad. People are like, what are you talking about? It's been really bad throughout church history, has it not? It can get really bad for us before God chooses to rapture us out of here. But I can tell him this. God is still on the throne, and if God chooses for us to face persecution, God's grace is sufficient. God will give us the grace we need to face whatever comes tomorrow. Habakkuk, yes, your nation is living in debauchery and wickedness and sin. And yes, I'm going to send a judgment upon your people. And yes, someday I am going to judge those same people that I use to judge your people. But Habakkuk, how about stop looking at the circumstances around you? How about stop fretting about everything going on and realize I'm still God. I'm still in control. Christian, may I say the same thing to us today? Stop worrying, stop fretting, and trust God. He is still sovereign. He is still in the temple. He's still on the throne. And then I love this last part. Let all the earth earth keep silence before him. This doesn't mean we don't pray. doesn't mean we don't talk. But here's what it means. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown puts it this way. He says, keep silence is... In token of reverent submission and subjection to his judgments. In other words, don't question, just trust me. Job puts it this way Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. He says that in chapter 40. Now, if you remember the two chapters prior to that, God is asking Job one rhetorical question after, after another, after another, after another. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, where were you when I did that? Job, where were you? Job, give me an answer. Job, where were you? When God is done, Job says, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Job, you know what Job is saying? I have no answer. I submit to you, God. You're right. You've been in control all along, not me. Romans 9, 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? It's the same thing. I don't like the way you made me, God. I wish I were skinny. I wish I were taller. I wish I didn't have sausage fingers. I could complain to God. Or I could say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for making me the way I am. Lord, thank you for the trial that I'm going through. I don't understand why, but, Lord... I want it to be used to draw me closer to you. Do you think Charlie would have chosen cancer for himself? Do you think John would have chosen over a month in the hospital with COVID? I could go and name something personal about almost everybody in this room and ask the same question. Do you think you would have chosen that? No. Did God have a reason? God have a purpose for allowing it? Absolutely. And by the way, I'll say just this much. Both men, as they were going through those experiences, told me God's taught me something through this. 
You know why? Because both men, as they were going through those experiences, and I'm just using these two as an illustration, as they were going through those experiences, maybe the temptation was there to question why God, but rather they chose to say, I don't understand, but thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And when we come to God with that attitude, many times he'll show us what he's trying to teach us in the first place. You know, I, like most of you, don't like tests. So when God puts me in a test, I want to learn it the first time because I really hate repeating it, right? You know what I'm talking about? But if we fight God the whole time he has us in the test, we didn't learn. So guess what that means? We've got to repeat the test, right? But if we can say, Lord, I may not understand why this testing is happening right now, but thank you, Lord, and I pray that you would teach me what you need me to learn in this. Show me the lessons I need to learn. Show me what needs to be different in my life. Show me what needs to change. Show me how I can grow closer to you. You know what he's going to do? He's going to show you. And then you can pass the test and not have to go through it again. That's the beauty of it, right? Lord willing, next week, as we examine chapter 3, we're going to see a totally different Habakkuk. And I believe it's God's message right here, this vision that he sees from God right here, that finally changes Habakkuk's heart and mind and attitude. And when he realizes, I need to stop questioning God and start trusting God. I need to stop asking why. Stop thinking I know better than God. Stop telling God how to do his job and simply say, yes, Lord. Be as Paul, who when he asked three times for whatever the infirmity is that he had in the flesh to be removed from him, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul stopped asking. Paul stopped going to Christ and saying, Take this from me, please. He said, I'm going to glory in it because it will bring glory to Christ. Maybe God has given you some infirmity. If God has said, my grace is sufficient for you, he's not removed it, then why don't you stop asking for it to be removed and start thanking God for it? Habakkuk had seen the wickedness of the people of Judah. He cried to God over the wickedness. God has revealed that he's going to judge using the Babylonians. Habakkuk was perplexed because God had chosen to use such a wicked people to accomplish his purpose, but now God responds with the facts that his timing is perfect. We simply need to trust him. He is, on, he is going to judge because he is still on the throne. So let us learn to trust God in all things. Let's bow forward to prayer.